Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Man, it's great to have you guys with us. And if you're just joining us, whether physically or online, we are in an extended teaching series in the book of Acts. We just finished Easter several weeks ago, and we want to continue that story because it didn't end with the resurrection, right? It, it be only began at the resurrection. So we're going through all the way through September. So I say amen. I'm in the book of Acts. And today we'll be in Acts chapter 3 as we look at, um, again, what God did in a movement then. But realize that what happened in that 30-year you know, uh, span that Luke recorded was what the greatest movement of history that we're a part of. And that's what we're calling this Unstoppable. So I'm really excited about that. But we'll be in Acts chapter 3 today. Um, okay, so I got an honest confession to make before we jump into today's uh, passage. Um, and we, as I started my fitness journey, I knew nothing about it, right? Knew nothing. So I was scrolling on Facebook or Instagram, and then this really shredded dude popped up, and he was selling these supplements. You know where this is going, right? And I thought, man, that is what, I need to get that stuff. Oh, I, I just got to take those pills? That's all I got to do? And so I actually got the supplements. I was taking all like nine different little bottles of supplements. And I was like, yeah, man, this is great. And can I tell you what happened? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Like my mama used to tell me, you might as well throw that, that money, you know, throw your money in the river. Like nothing happened because I was convinced there had to be a quick way to get to the place I wanted to get to in transformation. I wanted to transform my life and transform my body. I wanted to see this thing happen. I figured there's got to be a faster way. Here's what I've come to realize. If there was a quick way, besides just taking, you know, illegal steroids, um, if there's a quicker way, everybody would be doing it, right? And the truth is, there's no magic way to get there. There's no quick way to get there. It's a lot of hard work, it's a lot of changes. And as I was thinking about today's message and about my journey to you know, buying and wasting all this time trying to have a quick fix, I think that so many times as followers of Jesus, that's what we think about with transformation. We, I mean, and maybe you wouldn't really say that consciously, but I think subconsciously, we think being transformed and growing and maturing in Christ is something that can happen quickly. Like, like we're hoping that maybe this revival service we go to or this book that we buy or this thing that we get would actually help us transform. Because if you're honest with yourself, you need to be what I would say content, but you should never be comfortable. You should be content with who you are, but never comfortable with who you are. I've said this before, God loves you the way that you are, but he'll never leave you the way that you are. And I think if deep down inside, if we're honest, I know I am too, we yearn to be transformed into the image of Christ. We yearn to be a better version of ourselves. We yearn to not have the addictions, the cycles, the emotions, the attitudes that are sabotaging everything. As we look at Acts chapter 3 today, I want to just submit to you that what happens in Acts 3 physically, what we're going to look at is what God wants to do with us emotionally and spiritually. And yes, he can even heal physically, but I want to talk to you about the process of transformation. Now, as we established earlier, Luke is the only known fully Gentile writer in the New Testament. And what Luke did was he wrote the Gospel of Luke because he had a friend named Theophilus who was trying to understand Christianity. He was trying to understand Christ and the resurrection and Jesus. And, and so Luke... Um, in a humble but kind of little, you know, um, humble brag way, he says, I know others have written accounts about Jesus, but Theophilus I've carefully researched. Because he, he did not follow Jesus when Jesus was physically alive. He came to faith after Christ resurrected and ascended. He said, I've carefully researched and put together a research document to help you understand what Jesus began to both, both do and teach until the day he was resurrected. 
And then Luke doesn't stop there. I mean, he's a doctor. He's a researcher. He's, he's a thinker. He says, Theophilus, my, I can't just stop there at the resurrection. There is an amazing historical account that I was a part of that I want you to know about. And so he says, Theophilus, I've now written what, what we call the book of Acts, the first 30 years of the early church and what happened in there. And so in Acts chapter 3, we've seen so far Jesus was on the earth 40 days. He taught about the kingdom of God to them. He ascended. He said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and out of most parts. Go and be my witnesses. Then last week, you looked about how the gospel is relatable and how the Holy Spirit came. And they spoke in these other tongues, but it wasn't like what we're talking about today. They spoke in people's languages. They all heard them. People got saved. It was amazing. And now in Acts chapter 3, you're going to see God do something really miraculous through Peter and John. And so they're on the way to the temple, as they would do on Saturday. They were still Jewish, and so they still visited synagogue and did that. But something unique and different happens this time as they chose to go through the gate called Beautiful. And I want you to look at this here in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. It's very interesting to note that's when Jesus was crucified, too, at the same time, 3 o'clock. As they approached the temple, a, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Now, one thing Josephus says, he's a first century Jewish historian. So if you ever question Christianity or question, was it just a bunch of Christians writing about this? Josephus was not a believer, but he wrote about Christianity from an outside perspective. And he talked about even the gate called Beautiful. He said that was made of fine Corinthian brass, like some of the best like brass. He said it, even, it, it looked better than the silver and gold because it was 75 feet high, that gate was. Could you imagine that? That is way higher than this here, like just 75 feet high. Beautiful. It was powerful. It was beautiful. And this man with an ugly problem was laid there beside this gate. And it says this, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Very important. Peter and John looked at him intently. Now, you know, guys, right, that when you don't want to give a homeless person some money, what do you not do? Don't make eye contact. The other day, like, like I, actually, I actually enjoy doing that. Um, I used to not like doing that. I said, well, I don't know what they're using it for. Maybe they don't need it. And the Lord really convicted me. He said, well, number one, realize this. They're not as well off as you are. Um, and they're out there, at least they're out there, be and they're begging. Well, they don't have more money than you, what they're doing there. He said, and I want to be a model to my son to show him that you want to tangibly give to people who are in need. Right? But I'll tell you what happened the other day. I drove up to the same spot I always drive to. And there was a guy there needing money, and I didn't have anything. I didn't have any cash on me. So guess what I did not do? I didn't make eye contact. <laughs> I just stared ahead the whole time. I felt terrible, but I was like, ah, you know. Um, I was going to ask him if he took Square or took, you know, one of those Apple Pays, but <laughs> never know in this day and time, you know. Um, but it says, Peter and John looked at him intently. I knew that man, that, at that moment they made eye contact, he was thinking, man, I, I'm getting some money from these folks. And Peter looked uh, and uh, said, look at us. And the main layman looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, Peter said, I'm a pastor. I don't have any silver or gold for you. I'm joking. Some of you got it. <laughs> so you got it. He said, but what I give you, um, I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. 
And what is important here, I want you to pay attention what happened and how Peter did this. He just didn't say it to him. But verse 7 says, Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was a lame beggar, they had been so often, uh, they had seen so often that beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Uh, this guy here realized the most fundamental need of someone is to walk. He didn't have that from birth. He had never had that. And what happens in this situation is, Peter and John meet his most fundamental need. He was asking for money from people. And he had Peter and John in front of him. He didn't know who they were, but he asked the wrong thing from them. He asked for money when actually what he really needed was to be able to walk. That's how he could actually experience life and go places and not be dependent upon others. And what I want to do is draw a parallel to you and to me and to this guy here, because I think so many times we have needs. But what's happening with our life, with our needs, when we come to the Lord, we're not asking for the right things. We're, we're not asking the right questions of God and the right questions of ourselves. And so as I thought about this passage here, I want to parallel it to you and to I and to, to what that looks like in our spiritual transformation, our emotional transformation, because the gospel comes to transform. A gospel that does not transform is not a gospel at all. And so if the gospel never transforms us, then i got to ask the question, have you experienced the gospel or do you just like church? And, and here's what, what I really want us to see from this passage is this. If we are seeking something superficial, we will never experience the supernatural. If we're always just asking for something superficial, we'll never experience the supernatural. Imagine an iceberg. 10% of an iceberg is above the surface. 90% is below the surface. And I think as believers, what we end up doing is our prayer life, and our relationship with God is that 10% above the surface. It's very superficial. And we never get from the Lord what he really wants to give to us. We never experience the transformation of our hearts that God intends through the gospel. That he wants us, that some of us have very fundamental needs. Some of us are struggling greatly. And we keep asking God for the superficial stuff in our life. As I thought about this passage, I think so many times is we ask for help when God wants to bring us healing. Let's say it one more time. We're just asking God to help us when God wants to actually heal us, the deep recesses and wounds of our heart. Because we're only asking for superficial things. As long as you stay superficial, you say, God, bless me, bless him, bless them, amen, you'll never experience transformation. And it's hard work to be transformed. It takes asking yourself honest questions. You've got to stop deflecting on others and projecting on others. I'm offended. I'm hurt. You may be mad. You may be, no, 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 no. Honey, you got wounds from childhood you've not dealt with yet. And you keep projecting on everybody else and you're sabotaging everything in your life. How do you know this, Kevin? Because I do that. And you'll realize that when God brings something good, you never keep the good thing long, whatever it is, a job, a friendship, a church, whatever it is, because you have these issues that you've never dealt with below the surface and God wants to transform you so you can actually walk spiritually, walk again emotionally. But here's what you have to understand. The man wanted money while God wanted to give him riches. 
The man wanted money, and God wanted to give him riches. Many times we're asking God to give us more money, and we're praying to help us heal our, heal our toe, God. Our toe's hurting. We just had a surgery on our foot. God, heal our foot. And God's saying, oh, my gosh. He's saying, oh, no, 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 no. He's saying, what you need is so much deeper than that. What I want to give you is riches. I want to give you wisdom and knowledge and understanding. I want to pour my spirit into you. I want to see you healed and whole. But you just keep staying up here with it. When's the last time that, I mean, survey, as I said before, your prayer life. When's the last time you prayed for God to give you wisdom? When's the last time you prayed for God to give you supernatural understanding, knowledge? Like when you read Proverbs, that's what we're told to seek after. But we're just up here in Americanized Western Christianity, just praying for all these little God, just help my car not break down. God's like, oh, yeah, I can do that, sure, whatever. <laughs> Problem is your soul's broken down, but you won't pay attention to that. Because the culture we live in tells us to, to, to not think about those things. Just scroll social media, stay busy, never think about the deep issues of the soul. And that's what the gospel does for us. It, the gospel's not just to help us, it's to heal us. And so I want you to realize this, God wants you to fulfill divine potential instead of just living by the bare minimum. I'm going to pause here and I'm just, just park here for a second. God wants you to fulfill, to fulfill divine potential within you. Not just live by the bare minimum. Some of you just want to get by. Just get by. Have a good life. Things go well for you. And God's like, when I created you, I created you with divine potential inside of you to fulfill purposes for my kingdom to do things for me, to serve me. And many of us, again, are not fulfilling that. You know, I'm, I've told this story before, and I'll tell it again. I heard a preacher say this one time. And it, the story was very intriguing. It's so true. He said he was driving by a graveyard one day. As he was driving by the graveyard, the Lord asked him and said, what, what, what's in that graveyard? He said, bones? <laughs> he said, uh-uh. He said, it's potential that never got fulfilled. I had someone the other day ask me about tears and crying when you get to heaven and, and judgment seats and all that. And yes, Christians will be, be judged, but not the same way as unbelievers. I personally believe what's going to happen, and some of this is just me interjecting in. So if you're like, well, I don't believe that, that's cool. We can disagree. It's cool, right? I believe that when Jesus says he'll wipe every tear away from your eye, I personally believe that God's going to replay your life and show you how you never fulfilled potential as a believer. So much more he wanted you to do. And then you're going to cry. You're going to say, God, I'm so sorry. And he's going to wipe those tears and say, hey, hey, listen, you don't get in heaven because of that. You get in heaven because of grace. That you'll see the potential that you never fulfilled. God doesn't want you living by the bare minimum. He doesn't want you just scraping by. He created you for purpose. And there's things inside of you he wants to pull out. But as long as you keep asking God for, for, for a handout, God will never get you the hand up to the place that you need to go. So here's what I want you to understand. Here, here's where the problem lies. If we continually ask the wrong questions, we will keep getting the wrong answers. If we keep asking the wrong questions of life and the wrong questions of God, we'll get the wrong answers. The, most, the smartest people are not those who have the answers. It's those who ask the best questions. And that's something I'm not naturally good at. Like, I'm a teacher by heart. I'm an exhorter by heart. So, like, for me, I've had to really retrain my brain to start asking more probing questions. Because you can learn anything from anyone. And it's the curious people that ask the best questions that get the best answers. Matter of fact, John Maxwell, who's our leadership guru of our era, our generation, 
He wrote a book about just asking the right questions. And I remember reading that book as a, as a young leader, because here's what I was told by the older leader. I always ask older, older leaders this. I would sit with them and say, if you were my age again, what would you do differently? What would you focus on? And that's why I'm so intent about my son, and I'm so focused on him. That's my greatest discipleship. It's, it's not discipleship. It's not y'all. It's my son. Because they always said, well, I wish I spent more time with my kids. I let ministry get in the way. I was out doing stuff. People always needed me. And so I did that. But one of the things that was told to me that transformed my life was this. Now, I, you can't go back in time, so just don't, don't have regrets. He said, in your 20s to your 30s, he said, you'll either get money or get wisdom, but you can't get both. He said, in ministry, you're either going to choose a, a lucrative job at a church that will keep you stuck, or you'll choose wisdom. He said, if you get the money early, that's fine. Go ahead and go for it. He said, but you'll never get the wisdom. He said, then later on, you'll never see your potential fulfilled. So you know what I did? I went and pursued higher degrees, and I went and took some of the toughest jobs ever, and that's how God developed me. And I would sit down with these leaders. Here's what I would do, and guys, this just baffles me. Like, number one, my first church I was ever a part of, I never, I never got to talk to the pastor or have lunch with him. It was only until I went to seminary, and I, I got 30 minutes with him. And I had a notepad of questions. What, 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 what really just, what transformed me was this. When I sat with leaders and I got an hour with a high quality leader that had a mega church that was doing something awesome, I didn't sit down and tell them my story. I didn't want to talk to them and tell them all that I'm doing. I sat down, I had, I had a list of questions. I said, you can eat. I need answers. Talk with your mouth full. We don't have a lot of time. And I had a a, just a list of questions. Because I knew if I asked the right questions of life, I would start getting the right answers in life. And I think there's twofold, horizontally, who, are you asking the right questions to the right people? Are you asking the right questions of yourself? Questions like, why did I respond that way? Why did I really respond that way? Not like they made me mad or upset. No, 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 no. Really, as a kid, what's inside of you caused you to respond that way? Are you asking the right questions of yourself? Are you asking the right questions of others? Number three, are you asking the right questions from God? Because if you ask the right questions from God, he will meet you in that. It's, listen, James, the half-brother of Jesus, which is pretty phenomenal that, like, he followed Christ. How many of you would ever call your brother your Lord? Not I, said the little red duck. And he wrote this. He said, if any of you ask of wisdom, ask of God for wisdom, he will grant it to you. Right? What are you asking from God? What does your prayer life really consist of? Because like, some of you are not seeing results in your life because you're not asking the right things from the Lord because it's all superficial. I, I blew my son's mind one day. He, he was watching something about genies, right? You know, genie in the bottle and all that, genie in the water lamp, whatever they're in. And, and you know, he's getting there. He said, Hey, you, you know what I would ask for? I'd ask for three more wishes. I was like, that's great. But I said, you know what I asked for? I'd ask for the power to be the genie himself. He was like, because <laughs> then I could every everything that, that I needed to ask him. And, and so we're talking about genies and questions. And I think so many times that we come to our Heavenly Father with all the wrong questions. We're getting the wrong answers in life. I just want to encourage you. If you really want to see your life transform, Learn to expand your prayer life beyond just the superficial. And here's what you're going to have to do, and here's what I have to do. You've got to seek God for transformation. You've got to seek God for it. I've told you so many times, there's a difference between just going to church 
and believing in a Bible and believing in Jesus and actually seeking God. Those who seek God will find him. He will show up to you. I'll never forget what, what, get, when I got saved, like when I gave my life to Christ, I was totally far from God. And I sat there one night at a party, and people were just, I mean, there were bongs and, I mean, drugs and everything. I'd done that, man. I was even tripping acid. It just didn't, it didn't do anything for me anymore. I'd done, it, I'd done it 15, 20 times. I'd done, I'd done everything. Known to me. I went outside and I looked at the stars. I said, God, if you exist, like, will you please reveal yourself to me? Because I'm just tired of living this way. I don't know what to do anymore. A humble question to God, will you please reveal yourself to me? On a side note, let me just say this. If you have somebody who's an atheist or an agnostic, ask them to do this. Say, hey, look, I know you don't believe I know you don't care, but if you're honestly seeking to understand and, and you actually want to know the truth in life, pray this prayer or just say this. Say it to the universe, however you want to phrase it. God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And can I tell you, if you have a seeking heart, that night was actually early that morning, the Lord visited me and two friends. It was cra at the same time. I thought I had a bad trip. I've told some of you guys this story before about my, my salvation experience. I'm literally sitting there with two of my best friends who were twins. We played in a band together. We we're talking about our future. And I'd mentioned about maybe like going to church, maybe getting saved. I didn't know we're doing this. And all of a sudden, everything went black, and I was in this expanse. I didn't know where I was at. I thought I died. It was scary. I came back, too, and I was shaken. Turned completely. I mean, I'm pretty white, y'all. I mean, I, listen, I, you know, but, but I was really, really white, right? And so... And I was shaking. I said, oh, guys, guys, I just had a bad trip. I had a bad trip. And they looked at me, and they were shaking. They said, no, 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 no. They said, something just happened to all three of us. I said, man, a spirit just did that to us. What was that? And I got convicted. I didn't know what to do. Two days later, I gave, gave my life to Christ. You know what? The Lord heard that prayer and visited me, right? <laughs> Friends, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the addiction you're facing. I don't know the problem in your relationships. I don't know what you're facing with your kids. But if you would truly ask the right things from the Lord, he wants to visit you. He's a good father that wants to heal you of the things in your life that are way below the surface, that are supernatural. You need a supernatural healing with. But you've got to seek God for transformation. You know, Jesus was talking about approaching the Heavenly Father. And he said, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. In the, in the Greek, it was like in perfect tense. It means keep on doing it. Don't stop. Just keep. Be persistent. Then he shares the parable, of the parable about the persistent widow. Like persistence and seeking God is being persistent and not giving up. It's hanging in there like a hair in a biscuit. Okay, I, I waited because somebody always gets a laugh like about 15 seconds later, they finally get a oh, hair out of biscuits. If, if you're from the South, you know getting a hair out of biscuits is really difficult, right? It will tear that whole biscuit up. That's how you've got to be when it comes to transformation and, and seeking God for that, saying, God, I want to be transformed. I don't, I don't want to struggle with these things anymore. You know the, the truth of man, he's not mad at you for your struggles. Your Heavenly Father's not upset with you. He's not wagging his finger at you. He wants to help you with that. He wants to meet you in that. The anger that you face, the passive aggressiveness, the resentment, the bitterness, all that stuff is contributing to even illnesses doctors can't even find in your life. Past childhood trauma you've just refused to deal with. All those things, if you'll seek God, I promise you, he will meet you in that and begin to transform you in a way that you've never been transformed before. 
I, I want to be very honest with you and very authentic with you about something. So for me, I've told you a story about my grandfather. The earliest childhood trauma that I can really remember fully is my grandfather killing himself. And I shared that with you several weeks ago. That I was going, he was, he was coming to ride, the, I was going to his house to ride the tractor that day. Mom was going to pick me up from school. And when she picked me up, she told me he had committed suicide. To an eight or nine-year-old kid, like, you're like, okay, what is that? Why did he shoot him? I couldn't fathom it. It really affected me deeply. And can I tell you, that narrative has, has dictated my whole life. So here's the narrative I keep writing and playing out. Anything good that's going to happen, anything I'm ready for something good to happen, guess what? Mom's going to show up at the steps with a toy telling me my grandfather's killed himself. Don't get your hopes up, bud. And then when it happens, guess what I do? Like, yep, called it. Told you, that's my life. And I went through something a couple weeks ago where I was really hurt, and I was really just, man, I was, it just, it hit that wound. And I started replaying that and saying that and doing that. And what I realized was when my, when my grandfather did that, my grandmother had cancer. And my grandmother was the sweetest woman on earth. That woman loved me. I felt so unconditionally loved by her. She was the one who told me, Kevin, you have some, a special call in your life when I was really young. And he wrote the note there, Mary, I, I'm sorry I did this. My nerves just can't handle it. And as a nine-year-old, here's what I thought. You check out, bro. You go ahead and go do your thing. I'll take care of Grandma. You stupid coward. And that's what I thought about him. I was angry at him. And, I, and secretly inside, I'm just going to be honest with you, secretly inside, I was like, well, well, maybe he didn't get into heaven because he doesn't deserve it, what he did to my grandmother. I watched her. And about a week and a half ago, that surfaced. And here's what I realized, guys. I had never forgiven him. I never had empathy on him. I never understood the pain he was going through. And for me, that's an abandonment issue, that he abandoned me. I love that man. And here's what I had to do. I had to sit down and have a conversation with my grandfather. And I sat there, and, and of course, he's not there, guys. This is something that a therapist would work with you on and teach you. But I, I had to ask him and say, hey, look, I'm really sorry. I don't know what you were going through. I couldn't imagine what it would take for you to have to commit suicide. I told him I forgived him, and I loved him, and I released him. And can I tell you what that did to me? It started a process. I I'm, I'm still want to be transformed. And that's just one of many things that I need to work on. Because every time I would run, I mean, every negative emotion, I would, I would with passive aggressiveness, shutting down, anger, that all came from that childhood wound I never dealt with. I felt justified in my anger and resentment toward him. And I'm seeking God for transformation. And here are three things that I have done and, and I'm using practically in my life. I want you to use in yours. The first one is this. Identify where you are stuck at. Identify where you are stuck. It says that as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. He was stuck, like literally, like he couldn't go anywhere. Some of you need to stop ignoring where you're stuck at and stop blaming other people about your emotions and just identify where you're stuck. Where can you not get past? There's something you want to do in your life. There's something you want to accomplish. You're tired of the addiction. The addiction has nothing to do with the addiction. Tell somebody to stop doing pornography or stop drinking. That's, go ahead. Go ahead. They need healing. 
They're trying to medicate a, a, something that hurts so deeply inside of them. Deal with the root. But you've got to identify where you're stuck at. And I identified a few weeks ago, I'm still angry at this guy. And now I believe my whole life is a false And that's not the narrative that every time something good's going to happen, God's going to show. That is not the case. But I'll keep living that narrative out if I don't identify where I'm stuck at. The second thing we have to do if you want to transform your life is invite God's help through other people. Invite God's help through other people. It says in verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and said, look at us. Then the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. He invited them in that situation, though. And can I tell you, you'll never be transformed by yourself. Um, I've had a friend journey with me over the last 16 months in a way that has transformed my life. I talk with, with my friend and accountability partner two or three times a week, and I'm dealing with deep issues of the soul. His mom's a world-renowned psychologist. This guy knows his stuff. He's a friend. He knows me, and he helps me. I have people close to me that help me. You will not get transformed by yourself, not by reading a book, not by going through a class. It's you're going to need sometimes professional help, which I've went through, and you're going to need personal help. You're going to need some people in your life. Invite God. Listen, you can't do it alone. Stop. God will never let you do it alone. You're part of the body of Christ, right? The, the final thing is this here this morning. I want to share this with you. Invest in the process of being transformed. Invest in the process of being transformed. It's a process. And it says, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but what I have I give. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter, watch this, took the man, lame man by the right hand and helped him up. The man identified, knew where he was stuck at. He took Peter's hand, he invited help other people, and then the process of being transformed was somebody pulling him up. And it says this here, and as he did, as he did, as he did, that's the process, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then he walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Invest in the process of being transformed. It's ugly. It's messy. There's tears. There's memories you have suppressed deep inside of you that you never want to revisit again. There are people you've not forgiven, which your Heavenly Father says, forgive. There's, some of you are angry at your parents that they didn't give you the, the, the childhood you needed. You're angry at life, angry at God. I'm telling you, if you'll seek God for transformation, if you'll identify where you're stuck at, invite some people in there, and you'll invest in the process of being transformed, then God will do things in your life that you never believed he could do. And some of you are saying, man, I'm, well, I'm way too old for all this. No, 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 no. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free. I don't care how young you are, how old you are, I don't care how much you've been through, you don't think you've been through. If you will, amen. If you'll get with the Lord this week and start asking the right questions, I'm telling you, He will put you on a journey. He'll bring books in your path that you would have no idea how you, how you even found the book. He'll bring people in your path. He'll bring, I'm telling you, like, God will do that for you. That's, this is the story of the gospel. This man couldn't do anything for himself. Stuck, sitting there. 
Peter and John, out of nothing the man could do for them, came and he received their help and was lifted up. You know what the gospel is? We were stuck. We had an ugly problem in a beautiful place. Some of you, that's going to come what church is. You have some ugly problems and you're sitting in a beautiful place. The gospel is God reaches down to us when we have nothing to give and he pulls us up and gives us the ability to praise him, to worship him, and to live for him. And that's what happened there. Some of you, your next step, your next step is actually surrendering to Christ and starting that process. For others of you in here, if you're a believer, it's God transforming you. Don't go to the grave with potential left in you. There's still more potential in you. God still has got a plan for you, and he wants to do deep things within you. And I'm telling you, if you will do that, the experience that you have in your life will be one of joy and of peace and of righteousness in the Holy Ghost. Let's pray this morning. Father, I just thank you that you are not a heavenly father that wags your finger, that expects perfection, that beats us down, but you're a heavenly father that wants to lift us up. That you know our problems, you know our issues, and you still say, I see your potential. So today I pray for everybody in here, Lord, everybody watching online, if they're believers and they're followers of you, Lord, that today you would speak to their heart. Go underneath the iceberg of the superficial and begin to speak to the deep recesses of their heart, Lord. There's forgiveness that has to happen this week. There are painful memories that have to be revisited. There are things that have to be done, Lord, that only by the help of your Holy Spirit can we be healed and continually be transformed into your image and likeness. So I pray this week, God, you would do that. Help us with that, Lord, to be transformed. We invite you in. We invite your people in. And God, we will invest every day to be transformed. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe you're in here today or watching online and you've never given your life to Christ. You're stuck. And you know there's more inside of you. So right now, whether you're in here physically or online, it's your chance to give your life to Jesus. So right where you're sitting, I want you to make this profession of faith, confess this today, and pray this prayer after me so you can become a follower of Jesus and a child of God. And here's the prayer. You say, God, I need the Savior. I cannot save myself with good works. I need Jesus. Today, I receive Christ into my life, into my heart. For I believe that he died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. And I believe he is Lord. Today, I repent and I make him my Lord. I submit to you, Jesus. Now, Lord, please transform my life. It's in Jesus' good name that I pray. Amen. Amen.